Welcome to Invisible Arts with Richard Gibbs, brought to you by Armory of Harmony. This episode is named Carl Reiner and the Way Things Ought to Be. Back in 93, my agent, Richard Kraft, pitched me to Carl Reiner to score his upcoming comedy, Fatal Instinct. Carl was an icon. His stand-up routines with Mel Brooks were hilarious, exemplified by their bits about the 2,000-year-old man. As a director, he had helmed many classic movies with Steve Martin, The Jerk, Dead Men Don't Wear Plaid, and one of my all-time favorites, All of Me. As an actor, he appeared in Ocean's Eleven, Ocean's Twelve, and Ocean's Thirteen, and in another of my all-time favorites, as the lead in The Russians Are Coming, The Russians Are Coming, alongside Alan Arkin's brilliant turn as a Russian submarine officer. And every American of a certain age grew up on the hit sitcom Carl created and produced, The Dick Van Dyke Show. He cast himself as Dick Van Dyke's overbearing boss, Alan Brady. The Dick Van Dyke Show, starring Dick Van Dyke. Rosemary, Maury Amsterdam, Larry Matthews, and Mary Tyler Moore. Richard Kraft and I put together a reel of my music and sent it over to Carl, and the next thing I knew, I had a meeting with the legend himself. Carl could not have been more gracious and encouraging. We had a lovely chat. The movie was just going into production at the time, a bit unusual to be interviewing at that stage, but Carl wanted the main theme to be written ahead of time, as there were a couple of musical jokes embedded in the screenplay. I pitched to him that the score be written as a classic film noir score in the style of Bernard Herrmann and Alex North. That style is already so arch that it only takes about a 2% amplification to tip it into comedy. No typical comedic scoring needed, no pizzicato strings. He apparently agreed because I was hired the next day. My music editor, Will Kaplan, contacted me right away as he had heard I'd secured the job. It's true. I, As soon as I knew you were going to do a show with Carl, I told you about my long history of watching the Dick Van Dyke show with my dad in Chicago all those years. And the opportunity to meet, let alone work with Carl, was, was too good to pass up. I set about realizing the main theme immediately, as one of the first scenes being shot was a bit with the femme fatale, played by Sean Young, walking sexily down the street at night. As she sashayed to the theme, the camera reveals Clarence Clemens, the big man himself, following her, scoring her every hip's way with his sax playing my theme. hired our three little kids to be extras in a scene shot on the Santa Monica Pier. They made the cut, but blink and you'll miss them. My mother flew out from Florida for a visit, and she came with me to one of the location shoots. Carl immediately set out to charm her and insisted she sit right next to him 
in one of the high chairs as he was directing. What a mensch. As the edit was coming together, Will constructed the temp track, following my idea of using classic orchestral film noir scores. Usually a temp track is somewhat haphazard by design. It is there to act as a placeholder as the film is assembled, so the filmmakers can see and hear how everything is working. A test screening was arranged for an invited audience of a couple of hundred people. I sat next to Will, excited to see Carl's first draft. Will had not simply laid some music in. He scored the movie meticulously with the music of past masters. Every nuance was perfect. Every gesture caught, motivations enhanced throughout. I realized that Will was out to blow Carl away with his amazing temp track. But in so doing, he had set an incredibly high bar for me to hurdle when composing the final score. He had thrown me under the bus. About halfway through the screening, I leaned over. Hey, Will, I whispered to his self-satisfied mug. Yes? Fuck you. I said that with a smile. That inadvertent gauntlet that Will had thrown down turned out to be a very good thing. I like to think I rose to the occasion. At this point, I want to bring my lifelong buddy Phil Giffen into the story. A highly regarded composer in his own right, Phil had orchestrated dozens of my scores for film and TV, including The Simpsons. He also would frequently step in to write some cues for me when the schedule was simply too demanding for any one person to handle. Such was the case on Fatal Instinct. Like me and Will, Phil had grown up on the genius writing, acting, and producing of Carl Reiner. So Carl Reiner, during the time we were working on Fatal Instinct, had just finished his book, All Kinds of Love. And my dad was such a Carl Reiner fan that I bought the book and had Carl sign it for my dad to Gordon. I sent it to my dad, who I think read it in a couple of days, mm -hmm. and just told me he loved it. So I took piece of score paper from one of the cues that uh, I had the honor of writing for you. Mm -hmm. And so I said, could you wish my dad happy birthday? And he said, Gordon, I'm so glad you like my book. I'll have to write you another. Hmm. Love, Carl Reiner. And so my dad framed that, and that was on my our mantle until my dad died. So, Will, could you share the story of Carl's longtime editor, Bud Mullen, and the strippogram? <laughs> you know, Carl couldn't have been the sweeter guy. I'll never forget one time when Carl came in and he started cleaning up my room. And I was saying, Carl, please don't do this. And, and he, he was just that kind of guy. Everybody loved him. And we, we loved Bud, too. And Bud loved the ladies. That's, that's all I can say. And, and at his age and so close to permanently retiring. He didn't much care who knew it. So in a lull towards the finishing the film, we thought it would be funny if we hired a party 
a stripper for Bud's birthday party that was coming up and that we would introduce her as a prospective assistant editor and, and Bud would certainly be giving her the once over and, and then hit the music and uh, much hilarity would ensue. The whole key to this working was keeping your mouth shut, which unfortunately neither of my two colleagues did. Steven, for some reason, let it slip to Carl's secretary. And we get a call the next morning into Carl's office, and there's some guy in there who we don't really know who it is. And Carl's telling us that, you know, he respects that we're just trying to have a little fun. He was saying that what we were doing really was not respectful to women and, and he really just didn't think we ought to do this. We called it off right away and uh, had a had a fine, albeit not as exciting, uh, birthday party uh, for Bud. It turns out that the fella who was in the room was a journalist from Florida. Lo and behold, one day you opened the LA Times and there was a running series they had called Q&A and it turns out it's Carl Reiner and the opening paragraph Carl Reiner is chewing out a couple of his editors for hiring a party stripper for Bud Mullen's birthday party. And, you know, it's funny that, man, I'm getting chewed out by Alan Brady. This is just the coolest <laughs> thing because Carl never mentioned it again. He, I mean, it was completely forgotten. It was it was never a thing. When this newspaper article hits, the phone rings in the cutting room and it's Bud Mullen and he has read it and he asks us to give the message to Carl which is you tell Carl to mind his own fucking business. <laughs> it, it is a hundred percent true story. Carl loved musical gags. Phil, can you give us an example? Towards the end of the movie and things were coming to a head and it was a scene kind of borrowed from Chinatown. Mm -hmm. Sean Young, I think, was slapping Armand. No, oh, he's slapping her. I was going to leave that out. Yeah. Well, that's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And like, which is she? And he would slap her and Sean Young said, she's my sister. Another slap. Yeah. She's your wife. Another slap. <laughs> Who is she? Your wife, dummy. How is she? She's my sister. How is she? She's your wife. She's my sister. And then and then she started slapping him. She's my sister! Your wife! Sister! Wife! Sister! Wife! Sister! Wife! Sister! Now they're just talking, there's dialogue, and there's all this dramatic music playing, you know, interweaving in their dialogue. And Sean Young kind of strolls over to where her stereo system is, and she pushes a button to change the score like you would change on a radio station. Right. Dwayne, the boy's gym teacher, he was older. Mature, strong. He smelled like dirty sweat socks and old basketballs. Well, there was another scene towards the end of the movie where uh, the camera had a tracking shot right behind Armand as he's running towards the house across the, 
the lawn where there's trees and everything else. And the camera's right behind him. I wrote something in that case. It was, again, overly dramatic. You know, something right right out of Psycho. Right, sure. And all of a sudden, the camera hit a tree. And Armand does a take where he turns around and looks at the camera like, what are you doing? <laughs> Towards the end of the movie, there's a scene where Armand Asante is running around the house, opening up closets, looking for somebody. Now the sexy sax theme is being played on trumpet, and he opens the door to a closet, and there's Doc Severinsen oh, continuing to play oh. the theme on trumpet. Lola. Lola. I'm sitting in for Clarence. He had a gig in Washington. And do you remember, Rich, when uh, we were doing the sessions, Mm. uh, at one point, Mel Brooks dropped by on a 10, and so many of the guys who knew Mel crowded into the control room that we had to call another 10. Oh, yeah, I remember. We couldn't get any work done because everybody was laughing so hard. Carl and Mel started doing their shtick together. (laughs) And, and this was like, oh my gosh, you know, and it was, it was really one of the, the moments that sticks out for me. So I've always been interested in the origin, in the origin of words. For instance, a simple word like cheese. Where did that come from? Cheese is a lovely story. How we get the word cheese in our, in our vernacular. In the year 28- there was an old farmer and he a gentleman came to his land and said, "I'm so thirsty, may I have a little dipper milk?" Ah. And he said, "Certainly go over to the barrel." He not knowing that the barrel of milk had soured, see. Ah. So this poor beggar man came to the barrel and opened up from the top and looked in and looked down and went, "Cheese <laughs> That's how the word cheese came into being. Very onomatopoetic. Yes, and that's the truth. Yes. Now we don't use that anymore. No, no. Now we go in, we say to the grocery, I'll have cheese. You don't go, cheese, you scared the grocery. (laughs) Those were the good old days when you recorded the orchestra live to Three Stripe Mag. You know, to the pups that are listening to this now that don't understand what we're talking about, one thing screws up. You can't go back and fix that flute part or redo the piano. It's all there, and it's live mix. What you hear is what was recorded as it was recorded. There is absolutely no going back and remixing or changing or anything. I remember on the first day, you asked Armin. Armin Steiner, the legendary curmudgeon engineer. Well, Armin, is it going to sound good? And he says, it was written right. So, Phil, let's talk about the writing process back then. A great teacher taught me. Never compose at your instrument because you'll only write as well as you can play. It is absolutely true that the best composing happens far from any piano or guitar. The mind is the most powerful musical instrument. Similar to how directors sometimes toy with the emotions of an actor, composers and conductors play mind tricks on players at times. The father of cartoon music himself, Mr. Carl Stalling, had some interesting techniques for provoking musical emotion. Carl Stalling wrote a lot of 16th notes and 32nd notes. He scored all of the classic Warner Brothers cartoons. 
Bugs Bunny, Wiley e. Coyote and the Roadrunner, Sylvester and Tweety, Porky Pig. He set the absolute standard for all animated music. In film and television scoring, a click track is basically a metronome that's fed to the players via their headphones so that they all play together. To make it easier for the orchestra, you want those, you know, pops every quarter note, right? Well, Carl Stalling would give them a half note click track. So instead of it would be that seems harder to me as a player. I would be uh, as a player. It's totally harder. Yeah. And and someone said, "Why are you doing that? Wouldn't it be easier to put a click on each quarter note, each beat?" Yeah. And he said, "It makes the orchestra panic." Ah. So when they're playing that run up to where. Whatever, the cartoon characters are about ready to fall off the cliff. They're, they're on edge, too. There's panic in that line because <laughs> they're not sure if they're going to make it in time. Fatal Instinct was the first and only time I was honored to compose for Carl Reiner. It was also one of the very last scores I composed without using any sort of computer as an aid. It was performed by a live orchestra, all playing together and recorded without Pro Tools or any other computer program. Samplers, which are basically computers that spit out notes originally performed one note at a time by real instruments, were still in their relative infancy. Nowadays, samplers have become much more sophisticated, able to imitate live players to a certain degree, as long as the keyboardist slash programmer has a certain level of skill and equipment. But still, at best, it is an imitation. It is wood veneer, not hardwood, food created in a lab, not grown in nature. Here is the difference between sampled words and a real orator. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Carl was the real deal, one of the last of his breed. He died this last summer at the ripe old age of 98. When we were wrapping up Fatal Instinct, I went to lunch with Carl at an outdoor cafe. What a fantastic pleasure to dine alone with such a legend and share stories over sandwiches. I asked him what am I real had drawn him to hire me. I was curious which piece of music had intrigued him so that I would be sure to include it on future reels for other directors. He looked straight at me. Oh no, I didn't like your reel at all. I hired you because I liked you. Rest in peace, Mr. Reiner. You were and always will be the greatest of all time.
Invisible Arts is produced at Woodshed Recording in Malibu, California. For those of you who seem to think you recognize my voice, you're right. I'm Mel Brooks. 